What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Are you ready? Ready to roll. Guys, welcome to Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and guess who's here? Riley Kirkpatrick. Riley Kirkpatrick. I'm so excited. I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and he's here. So before we get to Riley, take care of a little business. What do you think? The first things first is Broadback Ironworks makers, the 2x72 grinder, made by knife makers, for knife makers, and for metal workers, woodworkers. If you're removing material, this is the thing for you. And if you go to broadbackironworks.com, put in the promo code Knife Talk 10, you get 10% off all, all your grinders, attachments, and stuff like that. If you have a grinder that is different than the Broadback, their attachments are we can be retrofitted for your machine. They're awesome. They have a new waterfall platen for all you plunge line guys trying to get away from hand sanding. They're going to be making a power hammer, believe it or not. They had it at a blade show. God bless them. I can't wait to see what happens with that. I Whatever they want to do, I'm behind them 100%. BroadbackIronworks.com. Check it out. If you are in Australia, go check out my friends at Nordic Edge. That's Nordic. That's at Nordic underscore Edge. They make pro tools for knife makers in Australia. They're the guys behind the original file guys with screw-on carbides. They sent me one, ladies and gentlemen, and I tell you what, it is my number one file guide. All due respect to everybody else. I use this one all the time, and it is, it's a really awesome file guide. And they make a bigger one called the Big Mert. That, they did that with Mert Tansu. So if you want to see what that one looks like in the United States, go check out knifekits.com, and they have the Big Mert file guide. But uh, Nordic Edge guys are making broaching tools, and they have uh, beveling jigs, but they're also, they also sell blacksmithing equipment, tongs, hammers, you know, anvils, all that stuff. So if you need to get anything over there, you should definitely check it out. And if you're in Australia and you're thinking to yourself, ah, I'd like to learn how to be a blacksmith or a knife maker, they're teaching classes too. So those guys, Sausage Man Forge is the man. He just he's he's part of that. He just came back from Steve, Steve Schwarzer, and they were at Blade Show. And uh, the Bjorn and the guys at Nordic Edge are awesome. So go check out what's going on at nordicedge.com.au. Next is Maritime Knife Supply. That's maritimeknifesupply.ca or maritimeknifesupply.com. Lawrence Lake is doing whatever it takes to get whatever you need in, in, in Canada. And he's got the, he's a distributor for Broadbeck. He's a distributor for Indossi USA. That's the Rhinoet guys. He's a distributor for Damasteel. He's the distributor for all, every, I mean, if you want it and they got it down here in the United States, go get a hold of Lawrence and he'll get you squared away. And if you go get yourself a 10 pack of abrasive belts, he's going to take 10% off. So you get one free, which is nice. He got all sorts of steel. He's very involved in the uh, New England School of Metalwork. He's very involved as a maker, as a knife maker, so he knows what you need. And if you, there's something, like I said, you know, something you want he don't have, go call him up and he'll get it for you. MaritimeKnifeSupply.com, sponsor of the Great Lakes. I think it's a Great Lakes knife show. Don't worry about that. It's in Ontario. I'm with you 100%, but he is sponsoring everything. He's also sponsoring a, a thing. And there's a show coming up in... in uh, 
I think he's sponsoring. No, never mind. My bad. He's sponsoring a lot of things. He's sponsoring so many things. Sometimes I f don't know exactly what it is, but I would highly suggest going to Maritime Knife Supply, especially if you're a knife maker in the United States or in um, Canada. He's shipping in the United States as fast as you're going to get it anywhere else. So go check out what's going on with MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. Next are my friends at the Trojan Horse Forge. That's the makers of the Stable Rail Knife Finishing Vices. They are vices built in the heart of Texas. These vices are designed to take your handle finishing to a whole new level with features you won't fire, find anywhere else, like plates that bolt to your to the to the uh, to the vice, so you can hand sand your knives. Integral bolster, no problem. Distal taper, no problem. Kukri, no problem. Curved knife, no problem. None of it's a problem if you use the Stable Rail Knife Finishing Vice. And if you go to table, uh, to TrojanHorseForge.com, you can get full blast. We'll get you free shipping in the United States. And they have payment plans available. It is definitely going to take your handle finishing to the whole new level and your hand sanding. Get rid of the 2x4s. 2x4s, be gone. No more 2x4s. 2x4s are for, are for the fire pit. Don't, don't, use them for, don't use them for hand sanding your blades anymore. Get yourself a knife finishing vice over at Trojan Horse Forge. Next are my friends at Baker Forge and Tool. That's BakerForge.com. They are the makers of very exotic and beautiful steels. Copper mascus, tiger my, copper my, bronze my, all these mys. This stuff is awesome. Uh, Koi and the guys are making very repeatable, beautiful steels that will put a little razzle-dazzle in your situation. If you're, if you're selling knives or if you just want to make something special for yourself, it all comes annealed. Very easy to heat treat with great instructions. It's all 80 CRV2, which is surprise. And I am a pussy when it comes to heat treating. I, don't, I do not like to, uh, I don't, I don't like to meander down the, the world of heat treating. I'm, I don't, I like it to be what you tell me it is. And 80 CRV2, and especially the steel from Baker Forge is on the money, easy to do. Definitely check it out. And if you're going to etch it, you know what you got to use. Gator piss. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. They're making a proprietary etchant for all your steels. It's called Gator Piss. Gator is short for alligator, and piss is short for urine. And tell me, let me tell you something. It fucking works. I'm surprised. I'm not surprised at the name because Koi seems to know what he's doing, but I am surprised how good it works. It's it's you don't have to mix it. It's all pre-mixed, it's all ready to go. Definitely get yourself some of that um, gator piss. And if you're in the EU, my boys over at DIY Europe are the sole distributor in the EU of Gator Piss. So you can go get yourself some of that Gator Piss over at DIYEurope.eu. Uh, and if you're in the United States, you can put in the promo code full blast for 10% off all your steel, all your Gator Piss, whatever they got. Full Blast gets you 10% off. And we love Koi. Koi's been great. He was on the Work for Podcast. He did a great job. He has been on the Axner podcast. He did a great job. I'm going to get him on here. We've got to space it out a little bit. Can't just go back and forth with these guys. you got to give it a little space. But I'm going to get Koi on here. We're going to talk about all this mosaic. Damascus, copper, my bronze, my sand, my, all that stuff. Check out BakerForge.com. Put in the promo code Full Blast for 10% off. Okay? All right? Okay? We're getting there? All right. Next thing is, my friends, the Total Boat. Total Boat are the makers of paint. Adhesive paints, primers, polishing compounds. Go to TotalBoat.com and check out what they have. If you're a woodworker, you already know. If you're a boat builder and DIYer, you already know. But if you're a knife maker, let me tell you, we've been using uh, Total Boat, the two-part epoxy, exclusively for seven months, and I love it. And I love how that when they ship it, they send you all sorts of cups and pre-proportioned things, and it's the, the it's awesome customer service. 
I have been using it for scales for, like I said, six six to seven months, easy, and I'm I'm a, I'm totally 100% satisfied. So go if you're a knife maker, check it out. I know if you're not a knife maker, you're one of these, you know, these worms in the woodworking industry, like Keith Deese and Derek from Malden, Keith Johnson, Keith Mitchell, Jimmy Duresta. You know what he's doing? He's taking it and he's shoving some dead animals in his total boat and making sculpture out of it. So weird. So weird, but it's working for them. So get yourself some of that Total Boat and go to totalboat.com slash full blast, which is an affiliate code that helps the podcast, gives you a little bit of money off. And then, you know, I don't know what it pays for for me. Probably a little bit of something, but uh, I'm, I love those guys. I was fooling around last week with them, but they, they didn't cancel me yet. So we're all good so far. I don't think they listen, which is, that's even better. So with that said, I love you guys at Total Boat. Go get yourself knife makers. Just get a couple can just get a couple jugs and try it out. I, I'm telling you, and the two part uh, the two part epoxy is awesome. The UV cure clear resin is awesome. Uh, it comes with a little bit of fl- a little flashlight, and then you, you you put a little bit on, hit it with the flashlight. It gets hard as a rock. Great for like little tiny cracks and crevices and stuff. If you don't want to use you know uh, crazy glue, it stuff's awesome. So just definitely check out Total Boat. Totalboat.com slash full blast. That's the affiliate code. It's in the show notes. All the codes. And the sh- and are in the show notes, so go check it out there. And last but not least, I'm so pumped. <sighs> GL GL Hansen and Sons are the makers of G Carta. G Carta is uh is kind of like my Carta. So my Carta is fabrics and resin, and then with like fab, you can have you can have paper my Carta, you can have canvas my Carta, you can have linen my Carta. They're using uh, colored rags and making this crazy the crazy colored. Uh, my carta they're calling g carta and it's not like anything you've ever seen and the cool thing is they're cutting it on the cross cut and the stuff looks awesome it's awesome it's hard as a rock it's great to use it doesn't absorb water it's just awesome stuff and they make a lot of colors and i got exciting announcement they make all these awesome colors i've been using them i've been using them for a while and if you go to gcarta.bigcartel.com you can see what they have they have what they have and then they don't have what they have so you got to jump on what they're doing and you have to definitely you should definitely follow them on Instagram, g.l. underscore Hanson and Sons, and check out what they have. They have some stuff. So what they says is G Card is a unique composite of natural fibers, fabrics, and epoxy under pressure and heat, which is you know basically what I told you. Uh, you can get a, you can get your colors. Their color names are awesome. They got Bofa, which we all know what Bofa means. You know, they got a good sense of humor over that. They got Bofa. They got Ripple Cut. They got Tuxedi. They got Mahi Mahi, Radio Worm G Carta, all by Mickey. I got to find out who this Mickey is. This guy, Mickey, is creating all these different colors and stuff. He's got Pheasant, which is tight. He's got Colorama, which is tight, and um, uh, Hoopla, all designed by Mickey. This stuff is awesome, and they just made this new variant off the Hoopla pattern, which I love. I love Hoopla. Hoopla might be my favorite of them all. And they said to me, we got a new color pattern. How would you like to name it? And I said, you got the right guy. So I named it Electric Fuzz because it kind of had this crackling electric vibe, this like fuzzy vibe of like electricity and stuff like that. And it's awesome. And they're pumped about it. I'm going to get some, definitely get some. So you should too. So go to gcarta.bigcartel.com. Get yourself some of that, a uh, couple sets of scales of the G Carta and check out what they're got going on over at GL Hanson Sons. Uh, that's g.l. underscore Hanson Sons on Instagram. <sighs> Without any further ado, my guest is a fascinating young man. I've known of uh, Riley Kirkpatrick, Riley Kirkpatrick, for quite a long time. And 
The rise of Riley Kirkpatrick has been fantastic. It has been well-deserved, and he is a very, 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 very important part of what we're doing as blacksmiths. I, I have, we, have to, we have a lot to talk about. Riley Kirkpatrick, he's a farrier, he's a blacksmith, he's a bladesmith, he does it all, and he has an awesome podcast called Forging Brains Podcast. Riley Kirkpatrick, what's going on? Man, that was that's pretty cool. Like, first of all, thank you for having me on here. But how cool do you have that many companies that want to be a part of what you're doing and like see value in what you're doing? I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And a lot, all the companies that I've I work with and a, a knife talking on, on full blast, we work with, and we've had different grinder companies and different stuff. I believe in all these people. I talk to them all. I forgot about our even heat ad. Guys, Knife Talk sponsored by Even Heat, the finest heat, heat treat ovens available. That's, those are my boys. I, those are my boys over at Even Heat. You got to get a kiln, get yourself an Even Heat. We'll get him. Don't worry about that. I've been dealing with them forever, but I can get on these. I can get on the phone with all these guys, and they're great people. But you do the same thing on 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 um, forging brains. You have sponsors too. Oh, we got no sponsors right now. Oh uh, no, I had to lie. We have we have Farrier Box, which yeah, we, have we know Box. We, yeah, we know the lady, and uh, she's like a. Her son and her ex-husband is are a huge part of everything we do. But yeah, no, we got we got them, and that's I think the biggest thing is we float through them because you don't want to you don't want to get with something that you don't believe in or that are just fake scammy people. I mean, you can smell a salesman from a mile away, and you're like, eh, I'm okay. I, the people that we have, we've had, we you know, in knife talk, we've had relate, and I've actually. I get most of the, a lot of the podcast for this podcast come from my relationships with knife talk. And it was like, I like these guys, you know, I like the Broadbeck guys are great. Lawrence is awesome at Maritime Knife Squad. They're all good guys. And it's yeah. like, it is nice. I have had some, we have had at knife talk. We've gone through it. We've been doing it for like five years. So we have had some flea bags and we actually have had to like cut ties with some of them because like all of a sudden things aren't like arriving the way they're supposed to arrive. So look, it's nice to be able to podcast and make a couple bucks, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, <clears throat> that's a great deal. How's, Makes it worth it. How's forging brains coming along? It's pretty good. We're so new, right? Like, we're just, we we're we haven't even been doing it for a year. So, like, I can't even, I don't even think you could call us like a real podcast yet. But we're, it's it's fun. And it's something that both of us got into it not looking to make money. Right. So that's, I think, a pretty good part of it. It's something that it keeps us from being like really consistent sometimes because we have to do the things that we are making us money. But it also keeps it very real and we don't have an agenda really. Right. And so we like that about it really. It's pretty fun. Well, the, the thing about podcasting is, and like anything else, and I'm sure you'd agree, you got to go into it with the kind of pure reasoning. And then yeah. hopefully the money comes. Yep. I mean, I've been podcasting for 12 years. So like the money didn't come until, you know, once I got, you know, five years ago. So I, we were, I was doing it for years and I wasn't, and, and it was fun, but at the same time, I'm almost 50 and I kind of have to have some data to give to my wife <laughs> yeah. when I have to say I'm leaving to do a podcast at some weird time. I need data. I need receipts. I need, there needs to be some like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not fooling around anymore. Or I got to tell my business partner. I'm like, yeah, I can't talk now. I'm getting, and then we figured out how much, you know, with machinery and all this stuff, it legitimizes me not having to kill myself for a couple hours a week, you know? Yeah. It, but it's also a hard thing too. Cause like, 
I truly believe in that like you can't put like a monetize on everything that like you just go and do things sometimes and they usually pay back yes. in one way or another. Like you can't really like directly relate them to each other, but it's like they definitely do. They like the exposure and just getting the word out and doing things like that. You know, it's like you got an Instagram stuff like we all run Instagrams that that doesn't come back like immediately in the monetization, but right. it's like it definitely is coming back. It's definitely worth it. Well, you know, that's interesting that you say that because your rise through social media has been wonderful. Like we're, I talk to Ben Snoor about you often and we're very happy for you because you're, you deserve everything. You're an awesome blacksmith. You do great reels. You're an awesome farrier. We got to talk about all that. Everything you're doing is, all right, back it up. When I was a student of Ori Hoffi, you're talking, when I was a blacksmithing student at 2005 or 2006, the one question that was always brought to me was, what is, how will this progress? What is the role of the modern day blacksmith? And I've always, before social media, I always felt like this is the problem. We have all these guys on forums and all these guys with the beards. And, and when you say to someone, oh, you're a blacksmith, oh, you shoe horses, there wasn't a real visual way to represent what we do. And what you're doing now is as important as any blacksmith on social media. And it's really, really important to see how great of a job you're doing and representing forging to the masses. Well, I, <clears throat> I appreciate that. It is purely like I do, I do see forging as a pilgrimage. There is yeah. still, there's other ways to do about it. There is for sure. I'm not arguing that whatsoever, but it is like we do it to keep it alive a little bit and to keep it out there where it'll just die. Yeah. And so there's so many people out there that like, you know, like the word raw iron gets thrown around right all the time. Well, people think that's scroll work. People think yeah. that's gate work. I know. And so if there's something, buddy, not out there speaking up and saying it, well, usually the ones that are, are the people that shouldn't be. And yes. so I, I try like, I, I feel braggy every time I like, and I'm not, I don't think I'm like, oh, I'm so good, but it's like. I come from uh, from people that don't talk about themselves a lot and don't express themselves a lot. And that's really big in the barrier world too. And so it's like, that's why you don't see a lot of it shared is because they all think they're bragging about themselves when they share it. And I try to get over that and know that like, I'm doing this just so it can be documented, just so it can be seen by the everyday person. Like you're saying, like, and it's one of those things like, it definitely don't, doesn't make me a lot of money, but it's like one way to give back. But I mean, you've you this is you didn't do I mean you didn't do social media to make money, did you? Originally? Uh no you crossed but, your mind, obviously. Yeah. But. Oh, for sure. I, I'm aware of like and I study the people that are making money from social media because like I understand my body only has so much in it, so why not try to make it from other ways too? But no, it was it's, it's not it's not because of money. It's just it's purely like just shit sharing with friends really yeah. you know and when i first got on social media it was like so i could get help right so i could find the other people i was you know it's a pretty easy way to gather a bunch of free information it's a hundred percent and and the but the interesting thing is, is the fair I, my experience with farriers 
I was a ornament. I was a, a, a welder, and then at around 2004, 2005, 2005, I worked for a center for metal arts, but which was had the center for metal arts, but also had a fire, fabrication shop associated with it. So I was in, I was a fabricator. That's where I learned how to forge and stuff like that. And we did different types of forging than what a farrier does. Like, so we never really even saw farriers. We never saw it. I was there for five years. We never even, I'd never even heard the word Damascus. And we were making railings all over the United States. And it was like, I'd never heard it. We thought knife makers were dorks. And we thought that we had met one farrier. And he wasn't even a farrier. He was the closest thing we'd ever met to a farrier. And he said to us, oh, yeah, I was in a farrier's assistant. He says, I was at the shop. I was at a, a um, I was at like a supply shop. And a guy walks in, he turns to me and he goes, I need an assistant to help me shoe some horses today. If you help me carry my tools and everything, I'll give you $500. And the guy says, I'm with you. He gets in the car. He says, the hardest day of my life. <laughs> hardest day of my life was working with this farrier. And all I do is carry his stuff and help him with the horses and the lifting and all this stuff like that. And it was we, I, we were so fascinated because we'd known we'd known nothing about it in the Northeast. I don't think there's a lot. Of, I know one ferry around here, but that's it. So being able to see what you do and to be able to kind of see you representing the, tr the true and traditional way of shoeing horses is so incredibly important. And I'm, I, it's it. The best part is, and I'll leave you. I'll let you talk about it, but. If you think about how many people over history have gotten to see this work, never in the history of the world has more non-handy people or non-working people seen forging as they have seen now. And yeah, you're that's part of pretty that. true. You're part of that. I mean, that's no one knew about this stuff. Everyone had no idea. You know, they didn't know about any of this stuff. And then you're out there representing, and it's... It's representing in the best way possible. Yeah, you try you try to keep that in mind, huh? That you're like you're when you speak up, you're speaking up for your whole group, right? And so you got to kind of keep your stuff straight. You don't want to spread a bunch of like misinformation or anything or misplay how this life is. You know, make glamorize it really in any way or one way or the other, which we are all really good at. You know, yeah, a little misinformation. You know, I the way I see it is for me is I would rather kick the door in for someone, you know, and like get them into it to the point where they want to pursue it. You know, I'm yeah. not, I'm not like, I don't pretend that I'm a master blades, but I don't have to pretend to be any, I'm a fool when it comes to ABS. I forget to pay every year. So I had <laughs> I've been like an ABS apprentice forever. And it's like, and at this point, my bit, and I don't want to be, I don't care. I don't need to, I don't feel the need to do any of it. I do like the idea of being able to show someone a little something so maybe they get interested and then they keep going. Yeah, it takes a little bit of that magic away, you know? It's like when you're a kid, you get those books, right? That yeah. they, they told you how to do the magic books, like the magic right. tricks that you saw. Right. And you're like, well, I could do this too. But before then, you were like, I don't know. There's just no way. So you just give up on it. And so when you kind of see the process that somebody does, you're like, oh, I could do that. That's no big deal. It's like... Man, all the metal shows that used to be on TV, you know, when you were a kid, is like like Jesse James and stuff. You were just like, oh, I could, I could maybe build a chopper. He just cut some bits, welded them back together. Like, really, wasn't that big of a deal, right? But That's until somebody kind of like shows that process, you're you're pretty lost on it. But at the same time, you're showing, you know, you're showing something that most people have no idea about. I mean, the horseshoes that you forge do not look like the horseshoes you see on Tom and Jerry. 
you know no. the yeah. horseshoes you forge where they're they're just i mean they're just immaculate and i want to talk about the horseshoeing process but before we do that how did you get into being a farrier I grew up around horses, you know, so it's like, and which is, you would think that would be normal, but that's a very unnormal thing in today's farrier world. Uh, most horseshoers right now are just guys that saw somebody making money and they, they went for it. But I grew up around horses. My grandpa was a horse trader. And so he would always buy crappy horses from the auction and stuff or people that didn't want them anymore. And they were coming and going a lot. And so we just got a lot of time on horses and, so the farrier was a part of it. It was he was always there, you know. The farrier was always bopping around, and, and at least in our parts, like I came from Eugene, like I grew up in Eugene, Oregon, and so there's decent amount of money there. And so like the farrier was working for people that had money, so he was always driving like a new truck and everything, huh. and like making a decent living. And the guy kind of was doing his own thing all the time, and. I, I like you, I really liked metal. I went to like a love metals class when I was in high school. I, when I was still in high school, I was working for a fab shop. I'd get out of school at like 11 and I'd work at the fab shop the rest of the day. And then I went to a steel yard right after then, after high school. And I was going to be a millwright. That was my plan with life. And so I was an assistant millwright at a steel yard and I'm just a bad employee. Like, I'm, I, I, it's something I've really realized about myself over there. He's like, I'm not, I'm not a good employee. I'm, I don't, I'm not lazy, but I'm not good dealing with other people, not picking up their part of the deal, wishwashy bosses, you know, stuff like that. Like, and I've, something I've gotten better at too is I, I've had an anger problem for a long time. And so I got in a tiff with the guy at the steel yard with my boss. And How so I got. At that time, I was 18. Okay. And, but, but, like, I grew up in an area that I realize now is way different than a lot of people. That you think of Oregon, you think of hippies and loggers, right? <laughs> well, like, that was my town. My town is the home of the biggest hippie fair in the country. And it's also home of a bunch of logging and a bunch of rural area cowboys. And so there was just a lot of fights growing up. And so I, I got kicked out of high school my sophomore year. And so I just had to, for fighting. And so I just had to, and it was never like, it was always just high school type tiffs, but you right. just, you get in trouble. And so I had to go start working. And like, that's when I started being doing fabrication stuff more and more and more. And I was just lear not learning any better ways to be my own boss or, you know, or be a good employee, be a self do. Like I was just always getting into little arguments. Well, I got fired from that steel yard and I was always working with this old guy like on, on my weekends and stuff because he I team roped with him and he he kept my horses at his place and he had an arena that we'd rope in every night. And well, he that weekend after after I got fired, he was making me shoe my own horse and he was telling me how I should probably go that direction, you know, like it might be a good thing for me. Huh. And his son-in-law was a farrier. And his son-in-law was the same thing. Had a nice pickup. Had a nice shoeing trailer and everything. Owned a bunch of horses. And so I thought, I was like, well, this is maybe something I could do. And so I went to horseshoeing school about a month later. I found, I just started calling horseshoeing schools. And my grandma and grandpa were well off enough that my grandma lent me the money. And made me write, you know, like a, a deal for 
how I was going to pay her back and how soon I was going to have to pay her back. And so I went off to Missouri to horseshoeing school. And man, that was just like, my life did like a 180 at that time. What do you think, I'm sorry, what do you think that old man saw that made him think, you must have been talking to him, you just got fired from the job. What do you think he, how did he know that this was for you? Do you think it was just because his son-in-law did it or? No, like we, we do like we were trimming horses already and stuff. Like I always joke around with people like with him, he would shoot people's horses and stuff too. He's just really the guy, he was the worst worker in the world. Like he wanted to do just enough to support his rope and habit. <laughs> and so like, if we showed up at your place, we were either going to castrate your horse, float its teeth or shoe it. Like that was kind of the the agenda there, and so I maybe saw that I was good with horses already, and I was like fairly handy with like tools, hand tools, and so I I maybe that was it. And I think the biggest thing he saw is that like you don't have to have a boss; you're not going to have to deal with anybody else because you 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 are pretty much alone with the horse most of the time, and you're comfortable with horses. Oh yeah, man, I. I love horses. Like they're just so this is like people can be so snaky to you and you don't even really know it. And like they could you don't know until later, right? Till they kind of already got you pretty good. But horses are straight up. Hmm. Like you you're walking up to him, he's already like everything's on the table between you guys. And there's no real big like grudge holding too much. Like you right. can get over it and just move on with your day and keep rolling on. Like once you guys see eye to eye a little bit or understand that you got to deal with each other to get through this job. It's, they're just fair. It's a pure honesty. Oh yeah, it, it is. And it's like, if you're rude to them, they're going to be rude back to you. Like you're, they're going to treat you how you treat them for the most part, but they are like, they aren't trying to trick you too much. That is something unbelievably interesting because it is it gives you the sense of even when you go to a poor and i i spent a little bit of time with jonathan porter jonathan porter's become a very close friend a doghouse forge and he, that's his primarily primary business yeah but it's this idea when you're rolling up to the horse farm you kind of know what's going to happen like you know your animals you know how that it's going to be obviously like you said there's not an underlying agenda and you know that you're not going to be treated weird by the horse no no i mean it's the snaky horse ladies that you gotta worry about in this business i would imagine i would imagine because when, when i so so i did a couple classes with i t- taught a couple classes with porter john the porter doghouse forge down in florida he started becoming a farrier after he was like a, a ranch hand in colorado or something like that and he loves it. He loves. He's like you. He he's solitary. He does well on his own. His 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 partner is this incredible dog, Millie, which which is like another human being. It's like crazy. <laughs> and he goes and he knows all the horses and he talks to the horses and he tells me why where I should stand because that horse. Ah, we were standing in the and I wanted to see it because I'd never seen it before. We're standing in the stall and I hear this thumping noise. And I look, and then I hear Porter says, "Oh yeah, that one over there, he likes you." And I'm like, "How do you know that?" And he says, "Because he's thumping his erection against his stomach." <laughs> and, I, and I was like, "What? He's what?" And all of a sudden, I look over, and he's like beating his chest with his own dick. And I was just like, "This is not. I don't. This is not the kind of love I'm interested in." Pardon my French. Oh, but I was like, I, he, "He said he's like this is what this is how they are. They, you know, they'll tell you how they feel. A new person in the place, and it was intense." Dude. 
They like you. You have kind of a fucked up podcast too. So I'll tell this story of like I had this client that I've been working for like two years, you know, and she has a stud horse. So he's still got his nuts. And the one day I was I was there, and he just had flies all over his belly. It was just like a couple of weeks ago, and I was yeah. like, "Man, why why has he just got all these flies stuck to him?" And she's like, "Well, his nightly ritual." And so this guy is like taught himself to jack off every night. The Pretty horse much. has? Yeah. So every time she's feeding all the mares, he's over there and he just comes all over the floor and all over himself. And it's just like, it was that moment where I'm like, I've been way too close to this horse way too Bro, many times. That like is my like, face is right there. That is all the time. That is like, that is some genius level. That's the next evolutionary step in the whole, with the horse. No, that's like no might problems. be this one of the smartest yes. horses of all time. Oh yeah, he's got to just. <laughs> I mean, if you can, if an animal who can figure something like like you see these videos of the of the of the bears like rubbing their backs against a tree, and you're yeah. just like, you know, that's a pretty smart bear right there. But I mean, if you're like a horse and you figured out how to jerk off, goddamn, that's like that's like Einstein shit. That's like the that's like the next evolution in a horse, right? Good thing he doesn't have thumbs. He'd probably take over the world. Oh, then how would you horseshoe him? You know, it's like. Yeah. You know, like a so you go to Missouri, and what was that? What did you you stay you stayed on the at the school or? Yeah, it was total like fucking awakening. So we get there, and I it's Missouri during the middle of summer, and they're having like record heat. Where I'm from, it's like summertime's about seventy average, right? And well, it's like a hundred and ten every single yeah. day. We're sleeping in an old dairy barn that's been made into a bunkhouse. And there's like one or two couches in the place and just, you know, particle board bunk beds. Like that's what, that's what you got. And these, the horses that get brought into these schools are just the lowest of the lows. What do you, like, what do you mean? Like they're just, they're just, there's, there's experiment horses. on. They're on just, orchard? they're just built bad. They're okay. bad attitudes. You know, they don't, none of them get ever dealt with, you know, it's like, so the average price to shoe a horse is like around here it's like 175 bucks the average price to shoe a horse. Well at shoeing school they're charging like $20. So you get $20 people. Like you get the lady that's got the cat food bags <laughs> over her cast, curler still in and she you know it's like they had chimneys coming out windows and stuff it's like these horses are ripping over horse trailers and stuff that you're like Oh. You're you're roping them and laying them down because they won't. They're just trying to bite you so bad. It oh, was these total... are people who should not have horses. Is what you're saying? Oh, not it. Well, there's two ends of the horse world. You know, it's like rich horse people that do it for rec- you know, like the Kardashian type yeah. people that got a horse. Well, then you got the other very other end of horses that like they've had horses forever, you know, work horses sitting out here in this field. Papa had these two, you know, it's just like, so they still got one just to see it in the field pretty much. Wow. So it's like, it's almost like with those places where it's a, it's like if you in New York, we used to find these places that would, it was barber school and you could go in and get a $5 haircut, but you know, you're getting it from a student. So I had a guy with a, a, a skull ring and he must've been just coming off heroin because his skull ring was like ripping my head. It was like just cutting my head and he was shaking. And so I would imagine that the, the, the get is, if you can shoe a horse for 20 bucks, how many people would come, how many of those type of people would come with their horses to the, to the school? 
Would there be a oh, time? They, yeah, they like so like usually we went to people's farms most like five uh, four days a week we went to people's farms and then every Wednesday was Holland Day and so you would wake up at like it was the, the worst. And you're right, yeah. The exact like we were shoeing horses on day two. They were they were letting us oh drive nails. God. They were letting us drive nails into live horses' feet. And so on like, the second day. Oh yeah, second day, man. Some of these people have never even like. There was one guy there, fresh from Boston. He has never like really been around a horse. And, and here's day two, just driving nails into into a foot. So on day one, what are they telling you? Because they're about to throw you into... I mean, all I know is one bad nail can maim a horse. Oh, yeah. So day one, we show up day one, and they instantly throw you... Like, have you start working in a Coke fire. They teach you how to light a Coke fire. They teach you how to make a a circle, kind of, out of a horseshoe. And they teach you how to make a hoof pick. Like, cut a horseshoe in half and make a hoof pick out of it. So you, like draw out one end and put an S bend in it pretty much. So you can cut, you can kind of cut out all the shit on the inside of the hoof or. Yeah. So you can pick it all out, pick out dirt okay. and rocks, stuff like okay. that. It's like a screw, a bent screwdriver pretty much. Okay. And then like, and at that afternoon they teach you how to forge weld. They, where you have to take two old horseshoes, weld them together and make a new piece of bar stock. Is there so? All right. So day one is blacksmithing class. Yep. The thing about the thing about being a farrier is it's, in my opinion, based off the conversations I've had with Jonathan Porter and other people, it's almost more. It's like seventy. I might be wrong. Seventy-five percent being more like a veterinarian, and twenty-five percent forging. Yeah, I I would. I would say it's even a little more than that. So it's like probably like ninety percent of farriers out there today are just product installers. Right. They don't have to forge at all. Right. There's no there's no need to have a forge these days. Right. You just you don't have to. And so they are just installing a product. There is so many horseshoes on the market. And a lot of those farriers that are product installers are kind of playing on the veterinary scale of things. Right. Yeah. It's not it's not very it depends on what horseshoe in school you go to of how it's gonna be. Some of them are structured towards like not blacksmithing. And some of them are pretty structured towards traditional horseshoeing and blacksmithing. So day two, they're telling you, okay, the horses are about to arrive. Are, yeah. are what are some of the students nervous? Are they looking for a little? I mean, obviously you've had you've been around horse horses and you have been around farriers, so I would imagine you probably shoot a horse at one point. But like the guy from Boston, is he like losing his mind, afraid? Oh yeah, yeah. Multiple horses bled that day. Oh my god! Like multiple bad nails, you know, and like the teachers are still trying. They're trying to like make sure the shoes close. So it's like in horseshoeing, there's like this outer shell that's the horn, the hoof wall. Right. Just inside of that is like this thing that we call the white line. That only goes up so high. That is what we are nailing into. So we are we nail just behind the hoof wall. And it comes out the hoof wall, how little, like one third of the way up the foot. Just inside of the white line is blood. And then inside of that blood, that membrane that's holding the horn to the bone is the bone. And so you don't have a lot of room in there to be driving nails anyways. There's not a lot of room for mistakes. How much, how much room do you have 
what's your how much what's your how much is your sweet spot like an man an it, oh that would be plenty that would be being gracious oh my god 16th inch yeah some of them 16th of an inch oh that, my that god gotta, that's so where you, it's like it it loses its art form there because you there's blood involved it has to match what the horse has so just for us non-horse people, a horse without a shoe, it won't be able to walk on rocks. It won't be able to – you can't have a horse without shoes, right? Not really. So it's like we always say there's like you shoe a horse either for protection, for traction, or for therapeutics. Hmm. And so there's horses out there. Like It's just like people. You know, like some people can go run around barefoot in the rocks and they'll be pretty okay. And some people, they can't walk across pavement barefoot. Right. So horses are the same way. So it's just, it's a per pace or a per basis, but like, yeah, you aren't going to go climbing the Grand Canyon or anything with a horse without, unless you got some good shoes on it to hmm. grab some traction. So the day two, I'll, I'll leave day two alone. The horses that bleed are the, the owners with the curlers and the cigarette smoke and the, <laughs> the cigarettes hanging yeah. from their mouths. And the, are they mad? Or are they just like, accept this is what you get for a $20 horseshoe? Yeah, game? they're pretty acceptive. Wow. They're like, well, okay. You know, they don't really care about them anyways. It's a really sad oh. deal. They're like, they'll watch one limp around out there in oh. the field forever. God. Like, you, you show up sometimes and these people are like, yeah, he's been limping for a couple months now. You're like, a couple months? And you didn't think to call somebody <laughs> like, or at least go out They're like, man, or how many times like I'll, I'll like, I still have a couple clients that just aren't great horse owners, but they have good horses that I like and they have a decent air, like a decent barn to work in that I like and they pay well and that, but you'll show up and they're like, yeah, he's been a little off. And then he has a huge rock in his foot. Like they just haven't even gone out there to like pop the rock out. So these people don't, most horse people don't care that much. Hmm. It's like, I, hate, I hate to say it. I, I I don't think you should. I'm, what's the hate to say? I mean, you 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 know, most people who drive cars don't know how to change the oil. I mean, it's that's yeah, that's the same thing. I mean, it's the exact same thing. Most most people who go to the doctor don't realize that you're supposed to take care of yourself before you show up. <laughs> they, they, they go to the they go to the doctor and think the doctor's the mechanic and say fix my problem. And this is like problems. You got problems like we we can't fix. We live in a fast, busy world, man. It's like, it's so crazy that you're it's, right. It's, that's the, I mean, my wife's in med medicine and she's just like, you peep, these people come in and they will, they will tell me all the terrible things they do to themselves. And then all of a sudden you tell them to give, take this. And they're just like, oh, I don't know what's in it. I'm not going to take it. It's just like, don't you know what you've been doing already? Don't you understand that I can't fix your problems? You have to do some of the work too. But regardless, you brought up something that reminded me, I was listening to, I, there was two episodes that stand out that uh, on uh, Forging Brains. You definitely go to listen to Forging Brains podcast on Spotify. It's definitely worth it. Uh, you had Ben Snoor on. Who doesn't love Ben Snoor? I mean, yeah. one of the great things that you do on Forging Brains, and back to we're going to get in back into the farrier stuff. I usually don't listen to guys who start a podcast for a bit just because I want to give them a break. It's like if you have a friend who opens a restaurant – Give them some time. Don't yeah. don't don't go in the night day one and and then judge it based on day one. Let them break it in. Let them you know work it out a little bit. And and I listened to your episode with Ben Snore. And what was so great is he's the best. He's the best guest. I mean, there's there's not a person alive. I 
if I'm in the weeds, I'm happy to call him. He comes on. We always have a good time. He's great on the mic. You are very, very good with great guests. You had, I listened to the Ben Snow episode was awesome. And then Hooter, your latest episode with Hooter <laughs> yeah. was outstanding. And the reason why is because you let him roll. You didn't have to, you didn't have to do, you just kind of like kept him on the road. And that's all you need to do with some of these guys. Oh, those are the best guests, man. Those are the well, it's not just the best guests. It's what it's the person who handles the best guest. It's always the interviewer who's keeping, unbeknownst to the listener, they're keeping this person on the rails. And Hooter was unbelievable. But we're gonna talk about Hooter too. We got a lot to talk about, Riley. We got a lot to talk about. But what was interesting to me was when you were talking with Ben and your partner is Gavin, right? Yep, Gavin. You guys were talking about something about horseshoeing that was so interesting, which came along with the fact that when you when you are a farrier at a farm, you have different farms, you know the horses. When one of them dies, there's like this relationship that you've been, maybe I think Gavin was saying that he was shoeing a horse for like three years and then it died. And you have this, it's like you have this, like you know this horse on a very intimate level. I mean... Oh, yeah. And for it to die, all of a sudden I started realizing like, these people are getting really close to some of these horses. Dude, very close. So, like, I have multiple horses that I never owned. I was just their farrier, and I remember them as if they were one of my good horses I owned. Right. They, like, I had one that I saw this mare for 10 years. I rarely saw the owner, but I saw this horse every six weeks. She didn't get a lot of care, so I brushed her out every six weeks. Like, you really, really like these horses. That's why you right. keep them on your books sometimes. And it is. It's it's harder losing them than it is losing the client. Really. I felt that. And that's, It never dawned on me. It's it's really why most of us are in, in it is for the horses. Like, it's such a, a weird thing. It's such a primal thing to take care of an animal and have an animal appreciate you. The the money's just another kick, right? It's right. just like if you got a, you know, everybody's a lot of people got a dog or something. I don't, cats aren't like this because they're just kind of evil. But <laughs> if you got like a dog or a, or a horse, man, it's like you can tell when they generally appreciate you being around. Yeah, and that that is something that no money could buy you. You can't yeah. buy a, buy an animal's appreciation or buy. You know, it's just like when somebody's genuinely a friend, and they you can tell they. They really actually care about what you have going on about you. Well, that's animals can do that in a completely different way. I w- I would imagine when when he, Gavin was talking about that, I think Ben was saying, yeah, there's some dog, there's some horses that you kind of hope would die, but oh, yeah. something. So hey, hey, Ben is the best. There ain't nobody better than Ben Snore. And when he said something along the lines, just like, yeah, there's some horses I wish would die, and they never seem to do. <laughs> the ones you really like, they, they they die early, but the ones that you want to die, they're always around. Yeah thing just lives forever yeah like you'd have a much better life not here like going going somewhere else so what did you enjoy the school when you were when you were learning uh not a not a like i enjoyed what i was learning yeah i enjoyed the horses i enjoyed what i was learning the people were there were good for me because it was like i was just kind of, like I said, I had a lot of anger problems. Well, they'd meet those pretty militarily, you know, like, and that's how the school was ran. Like, if you cussed, you had to do push-ups. If you really? Had, if you had a wrong question, you had to do push-ups. Like, whoa. And they they had agendas through the week. You know, they had goals you had to reach. Like, 
that first week when you know day one we had to start learning how to forge weld well we had to have two pieces of bar stock turned in at the end of the week that met these requirements and so it was i enjoyed finally having like this is what you need to do absolutely and there's no ifs ands or buts about it but it it wasn't just an amazing time though no, but I mean, the experience you got and the discipline, it sounds like, I mean, my opinion has always been, especially, you know, the last five, 10 years is creativity is one thing, but creativity without discipline, it's, it's wasted energy. It's yeah. not even, it's all, it's like talk is cheap, really. Yep. Like you can be a creative person, you don't do anything with it. It's talk is cheap. It's like flapping your lips. It's not really, doesn't mean, doesn't mean anything. Well, you and, see it with people all the time, right? That the, you see them have an idea that like, you'll post it on Instagram and you'll be like, that could be somewhere something if you just didn't post this first one. If you would have just kept drilling and making it really, really detailed, that would have been really nice. And like horseshoeing school taught me that for sure. Like before, I think I had like the creativity and stuff, but I just didn't have like that finish drive and discipline to like, this is absolutely what it needs to be down to the 16th. So that you really, did you think, do you feel that horseshoeing school cr- tr- taught you that discipline? Oh yeah, for sure. How did you? Ch- how did it change you as a person after school? I mean, I know you wanted to be a ferry, or maybe you didn't, or you were kind of finding who you were. How did it change your philosophy, really? Because for me, I I see blacks forging more as a philosophy than a creative art or 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 an active art. I find it more philosophical in terms of the decision making that you have to do is far more mental than it. It's almost more mental and physical, and it's changed the way I see everything. And uh, it made me a better person, frankly, more disciplined too. How do you think Farrier School changed you? Well, I think like before Farrier School was like, I did sports and stuff growing up, but you'd always kind of like do one of these sports and you're like, well, I'm just not built for that. I'm just not naturally good at this. Like horseshoeing school taught me like you can be good at whatever you want to be. You just have to work for it. Yeah. And that's like. I, I lost that fear to work for it because I knew that it could be done in the end. That's that's one of the things I hate when people say is I'm just not good at this or I'm not good at that. And they kind of it's almost like this self-sabotaging thing that well, you know, it's not, you, I almost want to say, right, well, you can't say you're not good at something. You say you just don't want to do it bad enough. You know, that that's really yep. what it comes down to. I mean, I perfect example. I want to learn Spanish. And I say I'm no good in languages. I, I don't want it bad enough. I, so I have to like anytime I'm in a position where I'm like ah, I don't, I have to change and say I'm just not. I don't want it bad enough. Because if I wanted it bad enough, I'd learn fucking Spanish. Yeah, you'd be done in a week, right? Like if you well, were someone put a gun to your head and you had to do it, like yeah, you'd probably start figuring it out. If you cared, quick. if you that's the thing. It's if you, it seems as though you created something, you you found this thing that allowed you to create a career where you don't have to deal with employers you don't have to deal with other employees you have the love of the animals i mean it seems as though you've kind of reached this nirvana of what you want to do with your life i maybe that's a front i put on because i don't know what i do like but i mean think about it you don't you don't if you don't work well with others you have anger problems you found something that you're like good at excellent at extraordinarily good at people respect you for it your your la- I mean, look, the guests that you have on Forging Brains are the top of the top. I've heard of Jim Poor. I heard of Jim Poor years ago for his hammers. Like I yeah. knew Jim. I don't know a lot about farriers. I knew who Jim Poor was. 
you know, I, I, you know, just because of, you know, like I said, like of the hammers, you have like a huge part of the farrier community and you're bringing it to light. So it seems as though you've kind of hit like a degree of nirvana and you have a wonderful family and you're living this life that you want. I mean, I know you're going to say, yeah, it's just Instagram talking, but it seems as though you kind of figured some things out. No, I'm super lucky at that. And like, I, you know, huge shout out to my wife. She's helped me figure out myself. Like we have, we have powwows every night, pretty much just talking about ourselves and how we feel and how we can maybe feel better and be happier, you know? And that's huge. Like we have really good communication and that's taught me a lot about myself. And I am a guy that has, I, I know I, you gotta be real with yourself. And horseshoeing's taught me that really big is that I know I'm a guy with anger issues. I'm a no, I know I have ADHD. I know I have like a high detail drive and I, if that doesn't get like kept to, it drives me a little crazy. So I have figured out these things about myself and have learned better ways to re, like direct myself that that's for sure. And have my life direct that. I know it probably looks weird through Instagram of like how I live my life and how all over the place it is. And like, I don't, I'm not always making the same thing. But I, I have figured out that I just need to be trying to be happy, you know, so that's it, what I'm just going for. You've mentioned you actually mentioned this with Ben on the podcast that the both of you have this similar thing that you think that you're all over the place. I don't think I don't I I kind of simplify everything like I think that I think that creativity and, and executing creativity is all the same, whether or not I mean, it, it all comes from the same place. So if it's just a different project it's all the same thing. It's just a different, you're, it's just a different variation of executing the creativity and executing the decisions you want to make. I don't see it being all over the place at all. Frankly, one of the reasons why I was looking at your Instagram and I was you know, Kirk, uh, Kirkpatrick Forge, and I was looking at, I, you know, I was trying to think about like, you had this monumental, wonderful uh, explosion in, in your followers, and it was awesome. It was awesome. And, and when I was trying to look at it, I was just like, I wonder if I can see anything in here or, like, look at it like, uh, you know, like a whole grid and kind of, like, capture some. And there a lot of it is the consistency. The consistency of your angles, the way you forge, the cuts you make in your videos. You, there's no fat in your videos. You always have your you have the angle of the camera in the best spot. You got that shop door open, and then the forge is in the background, and the lighting is always good, and you're always at the specific spot. And if you look down, there's this consistency that people see. And there's no, like I said, there's no fat in any of your reels. You're not like what I do with the goddamn, you know, putting it in the fire. Who cares? You know, it's, it's, there's so much. I'm all over the place, honestly. But you have a consistency that's very, that's very, you see this consistency regardless of it's, uh, uh, if you're forging a hatchet or you're making a knife, you're making tongs, you're making a bottle, uh, 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 horseshoe. I don't think it's erratic at all. I try, I try to have that consistency in it because I feel like if something worked, don't stray too far from it. Try to be creative within that because people don't want to see the same things over and over again completely. But there does need to be some type of, you know, something familiar there for them to relate to and to stick around for. That's obviously something that struck with them. And so it is something that's like, and it's the way I see it too, right? That's how I, that's the view I'm wanting to give off and the, the things I'm wanting to show up in the video are those quick cuts. And that's, 
Man, a lot of it too is just like my ADHD. That's how I thought those videos are cut so short. I think like, when am I losing interest? And so I have to cut it, cut it wow. down, you know, pretty, pretty quickly, or it just seems really off to me and not good, you know? Well, they're always good. <laughs> they're always really good. And, and you, like I said, you deserve it. At what point did you decide, because it seems as though maybe I'm wrong in the farrier world. It seems like, you know, you can, you mentioned before, you can buy horseshoes pre-made and then you can forge horseshoes. It's almost like this. It's almost like two stock. It's like almost like stock removal knife guys versus bladesmiths. Almost. I mean, I'm just oversimplifying it. At what point did you decide that I want to do mostly forged horseshoes? Horseshoe in school. Oh, it really? Right, yeah, it was right away. So like I, I still, I've been shooting horses for 13 years and I haven't bought a machine made shoe. They've all been handmade shoes on my horses. And I've, I've nailed on some machine-made shoes with buddies and stuff, helping them out on their horses. But all my clientele has been handmade shoes. And it was something that I just, like, right in horseshoeing school, I saw the tradition to it, which is, is funny to me that, like, I'm all over the place with everything else. I get bored with it pretty quick. But I've, I've just not gotten bored with horseshoeing. It's There's so much to it, even though there's, like, the basics are there of just that, the hardest thing you can do is put two flat surfaces together and nail this shape perfectly. Yeah, but it's got to be the most, way more, probably unconsciously, it's got to be the most satisfying thing because you're forging something that's going to make these animals walk easier. That's, yeah. I mean, the, the proof is immediately after the flask shoe is on. Yeah, it's pretty big, and it's like it's. It feels really nice when the clients come. Up, man, he had traction all the way through this event, or he's been moving really nice throughout this. It's like you're working well with them, and you're seeing what they like. Because it is hard. We can influence our decisions on them very easy, and the things that we want. So it's something you have to kind of like step back and let the horse tell you where to go. And it is just it's like we we're talking earlier. Like the appreciation for the horse is huge. Really? Yeah, it's a great it, and it is like. It's such a hard job that like I've shot a bunch of horses and I haven't done that many like really good jobs where it's horseshoes will are we're a bunch of we're a bunch of fucking liars man it's like we'll always <laughs> like oh yeah that's great it's like yeah it's okay but it's not perfect right it's just not perfect and so and the group of guys I hang out with now and that like when I went to horseshoeing school the teacher and the son were both competitive farriers. And so they were very deep in that world of hand-making shoes and trying to get them as perfect as they absolutely could be. So obviously there would be, I mean, I'm assuming there's a guy who only gets machine-made or gets, uh, he buys horseshoes and he's got a, a, you know, he's got a ton of horseshoes in his trailer and you just kind of open it up and close it to forget it to size versus you. There's got to be a big price difference. Um, when you're, when you're making the horseshoes, can can you reuse the horseshoe? Like if you got to your guy, he's doing great, and the horse and the shoes got a little bit of wear, but not much. Is there ever a situation where they say, "Ah, we're a little light on money this week," and you just kind of clip them and use the same horseshoe? Does it get used again, or is it, what happens to that horseshoe after six weeks? No, so we charge a flat rate, like most guys do. So you're always charging the same amount, and but we do get resets, is what we call them, and so it's just. The resets will, it depends on the horse and his job. It, when you can't reset his shoes, like they wear through the toe. Like sometimes they'll wear through them so much that you have two pieces now. You just have huh. each side of the horseshoe. The toe is completely toast. Or the nail holes get wallered out really bad. 
where the shoe's not staying tight anymore. The nails are just really loose, so you got to put a new one on them. I, but what, you, most of the time, that's it's kind of money in the bank when you can get a reset on them because you're you don't have to spend the time shaping a new shoe, making a new shoe, or anything. But and we call them cold shoers, the guys that just buy shoes and just open and close them on their anvils. And those shoes, just because they have to be made on a machine, they're softer, and they're just, so they're just not as hard of a material, and they never got hot, so they're really soft still. And so the handmade shoe has been beat on, has been hot. They're quenched kind of hot and they're a better steel. So they tend to last longer. So I'll get two to three more resets than a guy that's just cold shoeing. Huh? That's amazing. It's, it's a added in there. Like it's something you have to like, it's a business. So you have to realize how much money it costs you to shoe the horse. And if it's going to be worthwhile and how to charge accordingly. And it is something like it's a, it's a benefit to the hand making shoe. So, how often... BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Will you see the same horse? Like every, what's your, every what's your, six weeks. Every six weeks. And what do you notice between in that six weeks between what you re, what you had done before to what what kind of wear do you see generally in that six weeks? It's so like that's kind of a part of what we need to be able to do with the horseshoe is read our work when we come back. That tells us more than right when we're done. When you come back at six weeks, if the horse is wearing in a really weird spot, like you want them to be wearing pretty evenly across the toe. Or hopefully pretty flat across the whole entire shoe. You don't want to see, like we call it flares and stuff. So like you'll see a flare in the hoof wall. It was because the hoof wall has been loaded kind of weird. Or the horse isn't standing right. And like that you trimmed him a little off. Or that you put the shoe in a wrong spot. And so he's like overgrowing the shoe. Or he's kind of like, you like retarded the growth a little bit on another side of the foot. It's tells you quite a bit when you come back so you are looking to see the nice even wear and you want the horse still in the shoe you want it to look like just like when you left now it's just longer huh. do you like would you do you make like templates of the horse's shoes so you can kind of prep it beforehand or i'm trying to figure out how you do it do you show up cold and then you have the flat bar, flat you get your three-eighths by one bars ready to roll or do you just be like okay this guy might be he might need a size 11 i don't know why you even yeah do you have no. like a template or something that you can kind of pre-do a couple or yeah so like horses that have been on my books for quite a while they i'll have their sizes written down i'll measure the width of the foot and then the length of the foot and then the distance between the heels and then sometimes i'll do a measurement from heel to heel with like a soft tape going around it so like the circumference right and I'll have that horse's name written down and then all his measurements written down on that. 
So then I can, and some of them I don't even have written down. I just know, I've been shooting the horse for a while, a long enough now that I just know the horse. And I'll try to keep a set of shoes in the trailer for that horse. So if he loses the shoe through the whole entire process or anything during the six weeks, I don't have to show up and make a shoe for him. I can just go show up, pop a shoe on him, and get back home. But the hard ones are the new horses. You show up to a new horse and you have no idea how big he is, the shape of his feet, his job really. Like you know a little bit, but not enough to be making shoes for him yet. So you do show up and you got to hand make a set of shoes for him. What? So like, just to, to give me an idea of like your work week. If you don't mind, like how many ranches would you see in a week? Or do you have like a system down where, you know, I only go, I only shoe on three days. a w- Porter does like three days a week and then he'll load everything up in those three days so he can work on knives, the other two or their father four, or their four, you know, do you have a system in place? A little bit. Like, cause there's, there's, there has to be some type of routine with all these branches. Yeah. So it's every six weeks, like I said, but it's like, Things get thrown in there. Holidays, they're leaving for a show. You know, it right. kind of throws things off. And so it's like, if you were going to average it, I'm probably working on horses three days a week, and then the rest of the days are all in my shop. But it it gets so weird that like there might be a week that I have no horses, but then the next week I got to shoot horses every every day other. And so it just kind of jumps all around. But generally, I leave the house like on a horse day. I'll leave the house at nine. Most of my barns are an hour away from my house. I'll get to that barn at about 10 and that most horses get fed about nine o'clock. And so they get all the feed in them and everything. And they're not really caring anymore about anything for the rest of the day. And so I show up there about 10 shoe horses till about one or two, go home, have lunch late. We're pretty late people. And then I'll go work in the shop the rest of the night. I usually get out of the shop at like eight 30, nine o'clock. How many horses do you, would you, what's the maximum amount of horses you've seen in a day? Oh, like, well, one day we did 30. Oh my God. I think God. it's 30, 30, all 30 new... or 31. Making shoes for every one of them. Not all of them. So a lot of them are resets. And with, with another guy. You, and so and we're working together. And you're dead. At the end of the day, you are dead. Pretty dang tired. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because... I said I had uh, I had uh, Ben on. He and I did an episode of Knife Talk recently, and I made the proclamation that I don't think anyone can swing a hammer as for longer and harder and more efficiently than a farrier. And he agreed with me. And we were because we were talking about you. We were talking about some of your friends. And I really kind of because of you, I went down the rabbit hole of all the farriers and how they forge. The forging techniques of farriers are so different than blacksmithing and i i don't have an issue with what you said to ben store you claimed him as your own i i kind of want i i kind of want us all to be together that's i don't i see people who move metal with hammers is we all are in this we're all in this together and i know i was joking and i didn't think about a thing of it i was just like oh man there are there are these like weird little seg we're all different segments in different communities I don't think after watching you forge and watching, you know, seeing forging hammers for uh, farriers, I I think that the forging hammer for a farrier is perfectly situated for horseshoes. Yeah. Perfectly situated for horseshoes. Yeah, it's completely built around. Completely built around them. 
because the forging of a horseshoe, the hardest, I mean, not the hardest, and this is all with respect, you know, the beginning stage where you're, where you're upsetting the middle of it. And I found out, uh, Ben told, Ben explained it to me why you do it. It's because when you're bending the horn, bending the shoe, you want to make sure there's as much material when you bend it around, because when you, when you fold it or when you bend it around, you lose material on the front. Yep. Yeah. It, you know, you bend a bar, it binds up in the inside and it stretches on the outside. Well, if you just went to flattening that, you'd have a pinched toe, so we call it, you know. Pinched toe. And so, the, yeah, we call it bumping. Well, we bump some steel into the middle. Oh. But it also, like, this is where the art does cut, show up a little bit in horseshoeing. It's like, a horseshoe looks really nice when it has flow. And something that has flow, like if you were just gonna, if you were gonna draw a picture onto a horse of a horse's, you know, a shoe onto a horse's foot, you would probably draw it with a little wider toe and then tapering down to the heels, and so it looked like it had flow coming around that foot. I noticed that with your with your horseshoes, because there is that flow you have on the 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 toe area. I guess I'm 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 not using the right yeah, terminology. Right. It's it's you can see the how that flare when you bump that material. You can see it. It's very yeah. apparent because it is more. There's more mass that part than there are when it kind of turns around and goes down to the back. The other thing is is the way you guys cut in for the holes is so beautiful and it finally dawned on me why you do it it's the probably the easiest and fastest way to countersink for the nails right yeah a little bit and it's like so a lot of horseshoeing is coming from times where there wasn't a lot of materials and so it's fullering it, it makes you get more out of oh, that yeah. shoe than you would if not you know it makes a shoe grow about three-eighths of an inch per branch and so, huh. you, get so quite a, you get quite a bit out of it you get you you're expanding three eighths of an inch more to the to the to the outside things. All of I started. I never thought about that because I, I always forget. You know, you forget that when you drift a hole, you, the material's got to go somewhere. It didn't yep. even dawn on me that it's that the reason why. Because I thought I was like, oh, if he's countersinking, why don't they just use a drift and then you can countersink for the hole? It never dawned on me that you're trying to bulge all that material out a little bit so it kind of matches and flows with where you bumped it at the toe do i sound like i know what i'm talking about a little bit yeah that's like that's what they that's what they tell you they, so, uh, but it also like they we do the fullering because it reduces the surface area on the ground part of the shoe and so the horse is gonna have a little more traction huh huh and so a horse and, a horseshoe that's really slick that has like the nails just like we call it a plain stamp or we just use uh, a countersink punch pretty much and the nails would drop down into it well if they're wide enough that's what we'd call a slider it's like the, you see a like a western reining horse and they do the big old slides you know on their back feet that's what they have on their back feet they got these big plates and and how do you how do you punch a square hole so you don't have material coming out at the your square the square holes they look so tight and i just know from you know just popping holes for bottle openers Sometimes you can't get that square face. How do you, how do you, I mean, not the square, the, not, when I say square face, you don't have any push out of material because you know, when you, when you're doing a bottle opener, you go, you, you have your, you have your punch and you punch it three quarters of the way there. You let the anvil suck up some of the heat. So that little slug gets cold and you flip it over and then you knock it out. And sometimes you end up with a little bit of, it's not a very crisp coal sometimes. How do you get that whole crisp? That makes sense. Yeah, no, it's and so it's like you don't you can't have like on the bottle opener you're wanting to get that bulge out the sides as well. 
And so it's hard on the horseshoe and you don't want the bulge out of the side. You want it to section to still stay the same as what it was. And you're wanting the top part of that nail hole to look very crisp with the, the plate, you know, the surface of the shoe. You want a nice crisp edge like that. And so it's a lot of like what temperatures you're doing things at and your tool set up before that. So like the tool that makes that final hole, my like final countersink punch is going to be used at a black heat. It's going to be like, so it doesn't suck down any material with it. And I'm using very small drift punches before that to get all the dirty heavy work done on the, the hole. So then I can just come in with that nice countersink at the end and crisp everything up. Cause that's, but also you don't have any, you're not, you don't have any blowout. You don't have any blowout on the, on the, on the, on the hoof inside of the shoe, right? No. Yeah. Cause you, you can't. And it's, they, so that's why I'm using such a small punch too when the material's hotter. It's because material moves the most when it's hot, right? Right. And so if I do that, if I use the small punch, the small drift when it's really hot to get a lot of the work done, it's not displacing a bunch of material for me. Right. So it's not like chewing because that's what ha- the problem that a lot of people have when they're popping holes on bottle openers is they're 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 knocking out the slug when it's too hot and it turns into chewing gum. Yep. And it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and you just kind of make a mess. Yeah, and that's like it, you're gonna you're gonna go put the shoe on the foot, so it needs like one of the biggest things in horseshoeing is the shoe needs to be flat, like very, very, very flat. That is one of the biggest things we're judged on in horseshoeing contests: is how flat our trimmed foot is and how flat our shoe is. And so you can't have bad nail holes pushing up into the the foot surface. And they also judge you really big on nail fit, and it's it's huge on every day too. Because if your nails have a bunch of slop in that fit. You're gonna the shoe's gonna move around just enough that it'll shear the nails off of the foot of the horse, and then you lose a shoe. You gotta go back, nail it back on. You're losing money, and so you we have to tune. We have like a drift, a countersink, and a pritchel. The pritchel is the thing that punches that bottom slug out of the hole. Okay, and that thing needs to be perfect to the nail you're gonna use. Right, because it can't also be cockeyed. It can't be like a diamond. The other two are are square against each other. That one can't be cockeyed. No, yeah, everything has to just blend right together. And so you can't. You have to just learn how to like. Everybody always wants to do things really hot at first, and then you start realizing how much stuff you have to do pretty dang old so it, the material can't just rip and tear and be nasty. Like so, it is nice and crisp. You know, when they're punching holes in the fabrication world, they're never doing them hot. No. Those holes are punched on shears, cold as can be, and they're nice and Iron workers, holes. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you're 100% right. I, I just, it just, it fascinates me. I think I learned that from Jesse Savage. He was, when I was doing some bottle openers, just like, you should, the last punch, you should be, you should be real cold. That last, when you sit, when you pull out that pot, you pop up that slug, it should be very cold. It should be cold and it should be a little, like, it, it should be the good one. Like it should be, you should have some nasty ones that you use before to get there. They don't have to be perfectly round or anything like that. You know, if you're punching, making a bottle opener, but it's like that last one should almost be a counter. You know, it should be a little belled out. So it gets your edges done for you and everything. It's like, you see it on hammers all the time. These guys have one drift they're using and they get through it too big. And so like their eye holes all sloppy and nasty. And it's like, you should have one good one. that's a little bigger than everything else to finish things off with at a finished heat. Yeah, the finishing drift. Yeah. At what point do you decide, I need more than just making horseshoes. I need to make all of it. 
man, it escalated quickly. Like it really? seems, especially in these last like five years or so. Like before that, so as I wanted to compete as a horseshoer, and you needed a ton of tools because there was all these different horseshoes, and so you needed tools for each horseshoe pretty much. And I was broke, and so I started learning how to make my own tools, and I just got super lucky like early in. Do you know a guy named Shane Carter is? Yes, he's a knife maker. He's a knife maker, but he's also one of the best horseshoers to ever be. Wow. And so Shane learned how to make tools from a guy named Jay Sharp. And Jay Sharp is huge in our world. Like, Jay made a lot of tools that were very, very sought after, and they still are sought after today. And I just got lucky out of horseshoeing school that I went to a Shane Carter clinic. And Shane, during that weekend, showed us how to make every single tool. And he had a really big talk about owning your trade. And so, like, I, I went after making my own tools through that. And But it's like, after I got through the tools and stuff, like, that owning your trade just kept on ringing kind of in my ear a little bit. And it doesn't really have to end at your trade. You can just kind of own your life a little bit more. Yeah. And so the things that I make mostly are things that I just use in my everyday life. And so that's, I just started going down that rabbit hole. And so that's how it's turned out to like, I'm making pans and spatulas and axes. And it's just like, if I have a random idea or something that I've been watching or or doing that week and I see a dilemma with it, like, well, I can make, probably make this a little bit better. And like, it's also hard too, because you got to think, well, now more so that I have to think like, well, this is profitable and I, can I sell it? when I'm done. But just yeah. ch- chasing that has just led me to some weird projects, it seems like. But, but like, ones that are people like to see. You have, like, two over 200,000 followers. <laughs> no, they like it for... They like what you're doing for some reason. Yeah, so it's It's, it's not all the algorithm. <laughs> They're not it's, all bots. No, yeah, you think most of them would be. It's like, who wants yeah, to... Yeah, I'll take just... some of your bots. You send me your bots. I'll take some <laughs> of your fucking bots, <laughs> Riley. Go ahead, send them to me. Man, I don't, it's funny, like, not to go down a rabbit hole, it's just like, it's, go ahead. So, so many people are so much better at me than Instagram, like, it's always shocking to me that I have this many followers, but it doesn't mean jack shit, it's not you like I'm what? getting anything from, it, you know what I mean? Listen, it, you're resonating with people, you're resonating with people, and that's good enough for me, that's good enough for you too, does it mean anything, no, nothing means anything, honestly, I, I, Listen, I'm glad you said that because a lot of times I'll talk to knife makers and they'll say, well, you know, I get to do this or you get to do that. And I'll say, okay, great. It doesn't mean anything. I got a friend who was in the Wall Street Journal uh, for, for knife making. Didn't do anything. It's over. It's just like, okay, so you were in it and that's it. And now what? Now what? I mean, yeah, exactly. nothing, nothing meets any, nothing really truly. It's what you do every day. You just got to keep going because you can't rest on your laurels and it's just the way it is. And I think what you're doing is fabulous. And, and I know a lot of people do too. And that, that like those mean more to me than any, like I could have 5,000 followers. If the 5,000 followers were just like makers, I'd probably be pretty pumped on it. I would I I love to I I'd love to shit on social media except for all the things that it's done for me. The relationships that I've made, the contacts that I've made, the business that my fader knives is 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 all completely because of social media. Oh, there's no and, way we would be having this conversation right now without it. No, of course. I mean, I wouldn't have gone to Barcelona with to Florentine. He was yep. a listener of Knife Talk and he was on Knife Talk and we've connected through that. I wouldn't have been on Knife Talk if I didn't, you know, 
meet Craig Blockwood on on, on social media. All this stuff, Marek, all these guys. I, I mean, it's all through social media, and it, ultimately, everything has led to things that have been great. Um, but at the same time, it's like when's enough enough too, you know? Yeah, and <laughs> frankly, it's like we all we all get a little starstruck. I think on there, man, it's like and are willing to do things for people that uh, those people aren't willing to do any of that shit back for you. Did did you did you hear about the Bob Kramer effect? No. Oh, this is the my favorite Ben Snore story. So he was on I don't remember he was on uh, Life Talker here, and uh, he says I I met him at, I met Bob Kramer at the at the Travis Wirtz Hammer Inn, and he liked some dividers I made, oh, and yeah. he said <laughs> and he goes and he goes what do you want for him? And I was so starstruck that I said fifty dollars. And he goes, okay, great. Hand him $50. <laughs> ben walks away. He's like, what the fuck did I give those away for $50 for? And I said, that's the Bob Kramer effect. You were totally stunned by Bob Kramer, and you gave your dividers away for nothing. And he's like, yep, Bob Kramer effect. Oh, man, but it's like I, there's so many people out there doing that to each other. You know what I mean on yeah. Instagram? Like, and I, I, most of the people makers have probably had one of those dudes in their messages. Like, they're trying to, like, big dick you. Like, oh man, I'd love to have this, and I'd post it on my thing. It's like, and then they never help. Like, and it just goes away. It's gone right after that. It's never really appreciated. It's like every time somebody like messages you like that, just give something to one of your actual friends. Well, the, well, the thing was, he saw him face to face, and I guess he was so starstruck, he didn't know what to say. It, <laughs> it was like, I mean, it was. We called it the Bob Kramer effect. It it's was funny. awesome. You wouldn't think Ben would get very like starstruck at all. He's a pretty gathered guy. Uh, Bob but. Kramer is like the. I mean, it, I I met, I'll tell you, I have a funny Bob Kramer story. So years ago, I was uh, probably seven, eight years ago. My I was telling my business partner, I was like, oh yeah, and Bob Kramer's the main man, and 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 Tony sent me a message saying, listen, there's a there's a a sharpening class. Come in the city now. I got you a, a seat with the with um at the sharpening class. It's just like a lecture with Bob Kramer's going to be teaching. And he says, bring a knife. So Tony says, bring a knife. You run on the train. Come down now. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to meet Bob Kramer. And I'm looking at my knives. I'm like, these are not. These are not. I, I cannot show these fucking knives to Bob Kramer. And I remember there was seven of us sitting, and he was lecturing. And he was super duper nice. And he said, so tell, us your na- tell me your names and what you do. He comes around, and he comes to me. And he goes, oh, my name's Jeff, and I, I make knives. Something like that. It was just like. I make knives or some something just like oh my god I am the I am the worst, and then um, he also made the point. He says I don't normally look at people's knives unless they really ask me for it if they really want critique, and usually what I'll do is if I really don't like it very much I won't say anything or I'll say you know that's interesting or something like that. So Tony's like you got to get a picture with Bob Kramer. I'm like Ugh, I don't really want. It. I mean he's like you got to bring out a knife and I and I and, and he's oh I'd love to see your knife. And I'm like I don't. I said you got to be gentle. I haven't been doing this for that long. You got to be gentle. And he takes a look at it. He goes, huh, interesting. And it was like, oh. exactly. He got me with exact. And there's a picture. There's a picture of me with him. And I was trying to make jokes, trying to lighten the mood and stuff like that. But he said exactly what. He said exactly what he said. Oh, if I don't like a knife, I just say it's interesting. He takes me like, oh, this is very interesting. I was like, what a fucker. So I got this very Shoot embarrassing photograph. <laughs> I was just like terrible. I already told him, I'm, I'm Jeff and I make knives. And then, you know, and then, so I, I understand the Bob Kramer effect. I've had it myself. So that's great. What are you going to do? So yeah, we, 
our world that's jim four <laughs> but yeah. he's just he's just not that nice he also he'll straight tell you it's junk like but he does starstruck a lot of people well that's what you're that's what you number two is uh, we got to talk about hooter tim yeah. hooter hoover is one of the best guests anyone could ask for and you had him perfect oh, he is tell so us good. about tell us about hooter tell us who is hooter and give us a little rundown about hooter Hooter's just like the dude that if you're in a bar, you're never going to miss him, right? Because he's so loud, and he's got a crowd around him, and he's telling great stories. And he's just this southern guy from Arkansas that has the complete accent going for him and everything. And he's just, he's always got, he's just a great storyteller, right? There's people out there that are just so good at telling stories, and they could be telling it about nothing, and are like, they, they need a TV show about him almost. That is Hooter, man. He is such a freaking crack up. It's His like delivery. He also has those oh southern gosh. delivery like words. Like they come out and you're just like he he said those words perfectly. Like I was pumping rebar. They had me <laughs> punkin they had me punk and rebar. You know what punk and rebar? And I was just like, Well, I need to know about punk and rebar. Dude. He's like, They told me they told me in the beginning when I was on this job site that I wouldn't have to work so hard with the pump and rebar and they cause they're all sitting around eating. And I'm like, That's what I want to do and the next thing you know, I'm pumping rebar and I'm working twice as hard as I did the last job. Oh my god. It's like He's he's just like the man of surprises too. Yeah. It's like you hear him talking about like pumpkin rebar, and now he's like then he was the vice president for his country club. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> everything everything he said was it made a hundred percent sense. It was very funny, and it was it was I don't even think it was meant to be funny, but it was no, like no, he was hilarious. He yeah, it's like at the same time, just a hard working individual is like. He, you were saying that like horseshoers can swing a hammer for a long time. We have this award, we have this big competition series that we do that's called the World Championship Blacksmiths, and it's a series. They have this huge semi truck that the doors come up like a DeLorean, and there's just like Coke forges lining the sides, and they give out an award every year called Striker of the Year. And so a couple of the days, they every people need a guy with a sledgehammer. They need a striker, and every time you strike for a person, you get a point. And so to win striker of the year, you pretty much have to strike every single class for every single event of the year. And so like Hooter won it one year of winning. He struck, he swung a sledgehammer for like nine or 10 hours a day, two days in a row for all these people next to a Coke fire, just joking the whole way through it. Just having a good time. He seemed like, the f- most fun guy of all. T- he was he was so entertaining, and oh, the, yeah. the the voice, but the words he was saying, the little cliches and the expression, they, they weren't cliches, but they were just like these gems. They were like a little gem. Everything was this beautiful gem, and it was like he was such a good guest. But you did so good with him. Oh yeah, thank you. As, as we were talking a little bit before this, and it's like I do take a lot of advice from how you lay out a podcast, and it's just. I'm I'm very judgmental about everything I do in my life. And so if I'm going to do something, I want to try to be good at it. I don't want to just suck at it or just wing at it. And so I think you're really good at captivating people. And like I grew up as well listening to Howard Stern all the time. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things that you do that Howard Stern does as well. And I try to do do a lot of those things. You do them. And it's interesting because there's the podcasting world – 
was ruined by Joe Rogan. And I'm telling you why it's ruined. It's ruined because there's so many guys who just want what he has. Yes. As opposed to what you're supposed to be doing. Like Ben's too. Ben's another talk radio guy. Talk radio was always about, number one, is about a conversation. But you're always keeping someone company. So it was, I recently was reading an article or, or reading one of Howard Stern's books. And he says, in the beginning, it was all about me. And I was just trying to be outrageous. And I was, my interviews weren't about, were about me, not about the person. And I realized it was far more interesting to be to listen to what they were saying and let it be about them. And then you get, you know, you get the accolades afterwards if it's a good conversation or not. And I was really felt very strong because in the beginning I did the same thing at Hurley Howard Stern used to do. When I got Knife Talk, I was on the third episode, and they had they had first episode Craig had on Walter Sorrels. The second episode they had Alex Steele, and the third episode was me. I'm not the follow up between Walter Sorrels and Alex Steele, but I went in there going like I'd already done you know five years of the Downward Spiral podcast, my buddy Nico, and I said I'm either going to be remembered or I'm not going to be remembered. I'm going to be invited back or I'm not going to be invited back, and I go yeah. crazy, and I go fucking crazy, and I and and for the number of years I was just trying to be outrageous for the sake of being outrageous, and then I started to realize that. If you have a good conversation and your guest is having a good conversation, then the listener is having is enjoying. If you're enjoy, if the interviewee is enjoying it, then the listener's enjoying it. And the other thing is, I had to stop with the writing down questions because you can't do something. My wife is uh, deals with a lot of psychotic people, and I've listened to what she, how she deals with them, and she says you have to do what's called active listening. And active listening is you have to really be focused on the person talking. And if you don't get to your agenda, it's fine. You just need to be able to have a conversation and kind of latch on almost like you're rock climbing. And you're looking for that ledge of a conversation to make them say something that they might not have normally said. Well, and that was huge. You're also trying to like catch something that they're not catching in it. Right. That they're, they're saying it and you, you try it. And like something that you're really good at is about like, you will, you'll come at it from a different view that they they haven't thought about what about their situation. Yeah, you know what I mean, or or I how try. these or how these two situations came together. And so, if you really get the person that's your guest thinking about their life and generally like they're just as interested in how this made that connection too now, because they're also going to just say the same bullshit they've said every single other time they've been interviewed. I mean, I love yep. Steve Schwarzer is my friend. I have his number. I love Steve Schwarzer. He will, if you let him, he will say the exact same thing on every single podcast he ever goes on. So yeah. you have to kind of like listen to those and then figure out where to go and then just try to get him to say something else. And that's also part of it too. But what you did with besides Ben with, with Hooter, you were masterful. Hooter is an awesome guest. But he isn't an awesome guest if he doesn't have someone keeping him on the on the on the rails. And that was an awesome, awesome interview. Oh, I, I appreciate it, man. He, it, some guys just make it easy. There's some of them that I feel like I'm just dragging. That's that the hardest part. It's a struggle that you're trying to like get something out of it. And like that's like I I got the easy. I was like I got another guy there. I got Gavin there. Right. That Gavin will kick. He'll grab something that I'm not even thinking of. And right. so that helps out a ton. And it'll kind of keep us on track about something. It's obviously like I'm pretty good at diving down the rabbit holes. So it is like there, but there's just some people that you can tell they're not into it and then they're, they're being reserved. And I think that's one of the hardest things to come over. Like you can tell even on like Joe Rogan. I think Joe Rogan is a really good conversationist, but some people just aren't willing to open up and 
say everything about themselves. You kind of you can to, tell they're they're like trying to put on a show. Right. You kind of have to. It, the hardest part is managing the conversation without feeling like you're overwhelming the conversation, and then you also have to like match energy, and that's hard. The whole thing is it's hard. But the what but the problem is is people just think that oh well if I talk and you talk then that'll be interesting enough. Well, you don't go to a party and eavesdrop and like some boring conversation. You know, you want to hear something kind of, you don't want to hear stories and you want to hear, you want to be captivated. You want to be, most of the people who listen to this and, and Knife Talk are solitary people. Most, mo, like probably your listeners too. They're, if they're, if they're sh shoeing horses or, or they're working on forging and stuff like that, they're doing yeah. it alone and they need a degree of company and they want to kind of hear the conversation that they have a idea of what's going on. So I, I, I get messages from people who have been on the brink and it's like, I understand how important it is. So I'm really, really, I'm really, really impressed by how quickly you were able to kind of uh, make forging brains as good as it is. Cause it's oh, hard. Man. Appreciate it. No. Cause usually I used I tell these motherfuckers, you need a year before I'll talk to you. And then the <laughs> yeah. year doesn't, year isn't enough for some of them. You know, I, I got friends who got podcasts and they've been doing it for a long time and it ain't getting better. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no, like, it's just, it's fine. People like it and God bless you, but it's, yeah. but it's like, it's, it's not for everybody and you have to have the right reasoning. I don't do it for money. I do it because Howard Stern saved my life. When my parents were divorced, my mother was not around. My father and his wife didn't want me around. I was alone in, you know, in the apartment building in New York City. I had, I was a latchkey kid and I needed someone to talk to me and not yell at me or I needed someone to keep me company. Howard Stern kept me company. He was yeah. there telling me jokes, you know, and I understood and appreciated. I listened to him this morning. He's talking about his grandchildren. It's unbelievable. <laughs> he was at his daughter's, wild. he was at his daughter's wedding. He's got, he's talking about his grandkids. He's still a very good interviewer and you know, he was there for me back in... I remember listening to him the first time I heard him in 1984. I was in the car with my dad. We were on Lexington Avenue. We were turning on 70... Uh, we were turning on... Seven, I want to say 69th Street or 70th Street. And he says, I'll give tickets to the Elvis Costello if you can tell me what Elvis Presley named his penis. We were... We, we just were like, did we hear that? I mean, I was 11. I was like, D did we hear him? He wants to ask the listeners what Elvis Presley named his penis. It was insane. Yeah. I remember being in my shop, in my first shop in Brooklyn, when he talked the guy off the George Washington Bridge. That was insane. Guy was like, you know, he wanted to go home, and a guy says, I'm calling from the George Washington Bridge. Baba Booey says, there's a guy at the George Washington Bridge who's going to jump off and wants to talk to you. you got to talk him down. And he's like, I want to go home. And he talks the guy down. It was like, it was, it was incredible national news. He talked the guy off from killing himself off the George Washington Bridge. But I think, like, it's, he genuinely, and I think this is something, like, for you, too, is, like, he really was interested in these people's stories for the most yeah. part. Like that's through the lens would... of through the lens of through his own lens of being miserable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We are, yeah. We are, most of us are. You know. <laughs> of course, but it's like it's admitting these admitting these little idiosyncrasies about yourself that are not you know you know admirable, but they're true. They're honest. Yep. Do I want to shake hands with people? No. Yeah. No. Of course, I don't want to shake hands with people. But it's like you know you talk about oh god, got to shake all these hands. You you're giving an honest a reaction to something that might be. 
you know, more interesting to others. You're a reality. You are. I mean, it's, I think also a little bit for like me, and I think it might be for you too, is like, we like, we liked having somebody to listen to, but also I think when you were listening to like Howard's turn, like you were hoping like, well, one day, hopefully someone listens to me this much. I never felt that way. I just, for me, I appreciated, I appreciated that I was being kept company. And actually, I started to become friendly with Opie from Opie and Anthony. Okay, I yeah. listened to Opie and Anthony. When I first started the CMA, I got, uh, I got XM and I would drive like 40 minutes to the shop and I would listen to Opie and Anthony in the morning. And after they all busted up and everything's kind of weird and uh, whatever, 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 he and I became kind of friendly. And it was this weird, I kind of don't like it. Like, I don't want to meet him. I met him once. He was very nice. But, like, I just wanted to enjoy what I remember him keeping me company. Same thing with Howard Stern. Like, I, yeah. it was, for me, it was almost like a degree of, I hate to say therapy, but it was like, they were like a, some type of emotional buoy for me. Weird. No, that, no, it's not. I don't think it's that weird at all, man. It's like. It gave you a different, a little break from reality. Half Huge. The time. And you, you don't want to meet the people too much because then it's like it might ruin that reality that you had of their 100%, life. 100%. 100%. And, it's, and it's, it's bizarre. But at the same time, like, I think that, I think that a lot of podcasters want the destination and they're not willing to do the journey. And for me, everything, I learned something new. I become a better listener at home with my wife i mean since i've been doing this i've become a better communicator with her i'm far i'm far more i'm far more interested in what she's doing day to day and i'm far less narcissistic than i used to be because i'm practicing active listening with people i mean i don't talk to a lot of people all day i got david here at the shop but that's about it so when i'm talking to you this is the most i've talked to anybody probably all week so you be, you, it's almost like practicing becoming a normal human being and having a conversation. No, I'm right. I'm right there with you. It's like, a grew up as an angry kid. And it's like, I grew up in a, a family that had a lot of other things going on besides what I had going on. Right. And so I was, you know, same as you, it's like just mostly left alone or just like go take care of the horses type deal. And so it, you want to be heard. And so that's how the time is like, I'm trying to just listen to these people and I'm trying to like genuinely be, I am genuinely interested in what they have to say. And I, I listen to every maker's podcast. I'm in the shop or I'm driving quite a bit. So I'm listening to all of them. And I think that's one of the things that I've noticed mostly about the ones that I don't enjoy maybe as much is that they're listening to just answer again. I know that's a cliche thing to right. say, like, oh, you're listening. But it's like, it is what they're doing. They're trying to, like, how can I redirect this to talk about my business? How can I redirect this to talk about myself or something that's happened? And not, like, how can I redirect this to find common ground with this person, you know, or and really understand what they're saying? It's very hard. I'm going to give you a little bit. Of, that's what happens on Knife Talk. And I have to orchestrate Knife Talk to a certain degree because... I have to make it, all the back office stuff, all the bits we do, all the things we do, because otherwise they're just going to say the same thing over and over again. So that's also part of the game as well, is how can I make this as interesting for the listener as possible and subtly manipulate my co-hosts? 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> gotta do it. Listen, because that's the thing is, is like every episode should be good, and every th- episode should pass people's time, and they should be like at the end. The best episodes I usually have is when somebody says, "Oh, I wish you'd ask them this. I wish you asked them that," and I'm like, "Okay, maybe the next one." You liked it enough that I left them asking for more. You know, went to what less asking for more, and it's it's not easy. It's not easy, but at the same time, it is very rewarding. And we've had some moments on Knife Talk that have made my day, you know, and same thing here. There have been episodes where it's talking to someone and getting a real perspective on something that I, you know, something I, I admire or something that I don't admire. Yeah. And I think you guys got a hard gig going for that. Like that knife talk is three, got the same three guests every time. And you guys it, have been on the air for a long time. It's and easy for this reason. They allow me they don't have to do i made it very clear they don't have to do anything they just have to show up i will i would rather micromanage the content and pick and choose what we do come up with new bits they don't fight they know it's they know they can show up and be fresh and relaxed i would prefer that to have a good episode throughout this last episode Mareko and i were both hungover not the best it sounded funny and it was different for us because he and i both happened to be hungover on different parts of the continent yeah. it was not normal but I'm, I've I've made it so they're having they, I they know that they're looking forward to it because they don't have a lot of homework to do beforehand, and then they're loose, and then they have a good time, and then we'll do something interesting or something that interests them. But if they, if it was work for the both of them, that we wouldn't have lasted, guaranteed. No, and it's like you guys are all different enough. Yeah, yeah. That it just it adds to it. I think it's great. It's fun. It's still fun. It's still fun for me, and and um. But I, but I listen to a lot of podcasts too, and I, I like I said, I'm, I usually rate people after the second year, you know, or, or not rate, but like I think I'm like ah, give them some more time to grow. I used to just bash people, but then I'm just like I'm not. It's just so, so wasteful. The problem is, is it does take a long. It's like everything else. It's like blacksmithing. You can't be, you know, awesome right out of the shoot. It just takes a long time. The problem yeah. with podcasts is they you assume. That it's going to be some guys are naturally good out of the shoot, some guys aren't, you know, and it's just you know it's a growth thing and it just takes a long time. I know our voices have changed um, from the beginning for the better, and it's been these small incremental growths to make we do consistently good. We fixed all of our audio problems, thank God, and and other this last the other thing, but it's hard. But the best part about what you're doing is is you've kind of tapped into a uh, community that was looking for something like this. Like your 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 guests, you have the best guests. You get Jim Poor and his wife on. You got all these guys. You have the highest level of the highest level, and they are. Hooter said at the end, he's like he was ha- so happy that you're doing this because it's such a great thing for the community. Yeah, it's so crazy. Like man, horseshoeing world is left in the dark ages on some things, and like the podcast, there's a couple of them out there, but there wasn't one out there for. So, like, in our, in our horseshoe world, we're all called the hammerheads that all of us, like, competitors and guys that are just hand-making shoes. There wasn't a podcast for us. There was nothing out there. Like, our voices were completely unheard. The voices that everybody, like, that was getting out there was these really vet-type people and stuff right. like that. It, it was really interesting that no one has was really doing it at all. Well, it takes a different generation, too. That That is very true, but it's... I don't know. You get those guys that are like Jim Poor, and they've been waiting for something like this to right. come around, right? For quite a while. And he's Same pretty invi- and like he's pretty inviting of technology and new things. You know, like he posts a bunch and is all over social media. 
but it is still surprising that it just like took these, these two random guys. Like we didn't think we were going to be good at this at all. Like we're even somewhat okay at this. Not saying that we're good, but it's like we thought like we're just going to start and see what happens. It's good. I mean, I'm telling you, it's good. I wouldn't be talking about it as much if it wasn't. But like the two episodes I was listening to, I wanted to hear the kind of later stuff. You're very, it's very, the Hooter episode is unbelievable. And Ben, you did a great job with both of them. I mean, it, it is a good podcast. And, and, and you can tell that your guests are fired up about it. Um, I, I, it's interesting because there are guys like Steve Schwarzer, who's an awesome, I mean, just he's a master bladesmith. He's a total legend. He's embraced all this too. And he's into it. You know, he's into the youth. And that's the crazy thing about this these communities i mean i i've been i've been railing against abana for years i've been railing yeah. against abana for like over like since from 2005 you know i've been saying this fucking abana they don't they're playing they're playing they're playing and then they started listening to this podcast and i fucking laced them and i think they stopped they you know what is i think it's because they got rid of a john williams on the board i was like so happy you know john williams yeah yeah I john williams he makes he's awesome blacksmith but his Hammer style and his tong style is a farrier style. Yep. Yeah. J sharp style stuff. He's, I mean, and he's an incredible guy. I had him on with Pat Quinn at the Center for Mental Arts. John Williams is unbelievable. I'm going to have him back on. I love John Williams. No, and I like, was like, a band has got to get it together or they're going to completely die. That I I am a fan of the Morrell family. I know Lee and I know, I know his son, Justin. I had Justin on here. I know them. I appreciate them. The problem is, is there's this. It's always been, I mean, a banner should not be as small as it is. A banner needs to do more things. They need to embrace people. They need to do more things and embrace. They got, I said something like, you got to get your kid, give the phone to your kid and let the kid run the banner. Do something. Get a, find a 13 year old in the street to run your Instagram account. Do something better. And then they had this whole kerfluffle uh, years ago, and then all of a sudden there was this young guard coming in to be on the board. And I, when his, as soon as John Williams was on the board, I was just like, I'm back with Abana. And then they threw him out, and I was just like, all right, then I'm out. If John Williams is out, I'm out. I don't want anything. They have full, all these organizations, they're, they're, they're wasting this, the opportunity of supporting these, the youth. And they're they're wasting these opportunities by not supporting these generations of like carrying things on in a very positive and progressive way. And it just it's kind of infuriating. And then I usually I th I throw my hands around, throw I throw myself around, and I'm like, ah, fuck, go fuck yourself. You're on your own. I don't, you don't need me. I don't need you. We're all right. Well, it's just a power trip that they don't <laughs> want to give up any power of the dang thing. That's why they kick John out, you know. And it's why like. They always invite a bunch of horseshoers every time for the Abana conference. And like at this point, I think they burnt most of their bridges with most of the horseshoers. <laughs> like they've, they've not let Jim poor do what he wants to do a little bit. They don't like Craig Trinka wanted to bring a trailer and like have a whole entire competition there. And they've been like, they aren't welcoming of that. They, they asked me to be a demonstrator a couple years ago. And it just got to the point. It was the only, this is the only time I've ever said yes to an event and then a little while later said no thank you yeah well look i'm not a bash i i'm saying this i'm saying this criticism with love and hope i'm hoping yeah. i want we want abana to be better abana has is the, the biggest game biggest group in the game and we want it to be better it should be big it should be bigger than it is they need to kind of figure this out because it's like they're playing games all you do is you're playing games. You need yep. these young guys involved. 
You need to get that. Actually, I when I just got back from Barcelona, Barcelona is an awesome city because they embrace the youth. And you see a lot of these more progressive countries embracing youth culture and the vibrancy of what youth can be without, you know, stepping on them. And you're going to end up with, you're going to end up getting what you want in terms of everything moving forward. I mean, now Instagram has been this place where we've, we've, guys like you have catapulted forging in a way that is so beneficial to the idea of where is it, is it going to die or not? No. Because Riley's doing it, he's got 11 million views forging a horseshoe. No, it's not going to die. But then what you got to do is you got to reach out and say, look, you, what he's doing is right. We need to kind of ride the wave and figure something out because this is how we make this all this better. And it's just, it's inferior. It, it, you want to pull your hair out because then, because no one's using their heads, you know? Yeah, and it's hard too. It's like some people might hear this and be like, oh, they're just passionate. It's like, no, it's like, just like when like I have a talk with my wife at night, I'm gonna bring up the things I did bad that day because those are the things we don't want to do over again. And so you have to listen to your people that are around and the people that are saying like this is what we don't like about the situation and this is maybe how we can go ahead with it. And it's like it seems like there's a lot of that going on then there then nothing's be happening about it. It's just kind of go staying how it was. You know who's doing a great job? The ABS. The ABS. Oh yeah. They have figured it out. They have yep. figured it out, and the Blade Show is bigger than ever. There are more people every year applying to become journeyman smith and master bladesmiths every year. Last year was 50 or 60 people, which was unheard of. They're going through a renaissance of people learning how to forge correctly in the way that the ABS wants you to do, and that is like... You want to look over, you want to go shake, you want to go wave over to a band and say, hey, listen, look what these guys are doing. This is what you're supposed to be doing, you knuckleheads. And it's they like, could have we fought the Forged in Fire thing so hard, and oh, they didn't. They embraced they, it. They, 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 uh, the ABS embraced it with like gritted teeth. But the other thing is, is like, it's like, why don't you ride the wave? You know? I mean, Let's, I don't want to do it. I, every so often I'll go, I'll go ape. I think I went ape last time I, I was talking to Jesse Savage and we were talking about uh, something and I was just like, ah, you, I know you're listening to this podcast, Savannah, get it together, get it together. You're, 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 you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time and energy. But we don't... have the same thing happening. So we have this thing called the AFA, the American Ferry Association. It's been around since the sixties and it's the most accredited group out there so you don't need any license to be a horseshoer you can just go and buy some stuff at the feed store post a card on the wall and you are now a horseshoer you don't need a license permitting nothing huh. and the afa kind of came up with a little bit of standardizing of testings that can be recognized in different countries and it's just a good solid test for people to take and we've all mostly have agreed to it but what's happening is they just refuse to modernize now like they have no presence on facebook they have no presence on instagram they aren't really reaching like the people they do have running it are still people from a long time ago and it is slowly dying. But then on the other hand, we have this group called the World Championship Blacksmiths that is very modern, embracing all the kids, trying to get ha new people into it, trying to break down that wall of what it is to go and show up to these things. And it's they're packed full every single time. They got a waiting list for people to go to their events. It's like it's, the the writing's on the wall. It just it's you know, and I may we're making it sound like we know how to f fix the world, and we're not. 
We just we're we're hoping for these organizations to just to kind of do better. That's all. That's all. We want we want more. We're we're, we're asking for more. That's all. We're, this is with love. This isn't bashing. This is just like time slipping away. And you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. We want you to do better. You know. So yeah, I don't think it's bashing. No, I, no, no, maybe no. I got no. a weird a weird I've, view of things, but it's like it's just being aware of what's happening around you and adjust. I'm also, I'm also, I believe in being an outsider. I've always been an outsider, so I don't mind being a little uh, on the outside with these guys. It doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. But um, one of the things I wanted to mention, the last thing I wanted to mention, we get to get you out of here. The tongs, I love tongs. Yeah. The farrier tongs are so recognizable because you have that sh big, wide shoulder with like it kind of pinches out before the boss. One of the things I never even realized is they're different than standard pickup tongs is because when you're fitting the horseshoe, you actually, it has to fit in between your foldering line and the outside so you can hold the horseshoe hot and flat against the hoof. Yeah, right? some, of, some of them do. Yeah, not, not all the tongs will be like that. You'll have a pair of tongs that are just hot fitting Strictly tongs. for hot fitting tongs. Yep, that's all they do. So one side will fit inside of the nail hole. And the other side will grab onto the inner rim, oh. so you can hold on to it and sizzle it on that thing. Oh, you love? Do you love making tongs? Oh yeah, I I love making them, but they're a weird thing. Is like tongs are harder to make than a hammer, especially farrier tongs. Like there's just you a got lot two, got to be identical. On. Yep, and there's just a lot going on in a small spot around the rivet on those things, and everything's pretty tight toleranced and everything. Where a hammer's pretty dang fast and it doesn't have to fit anything you know it just has to have like a kind of a flat face and kind of a round face on the other side where tongs have to be really precise but you can't sell tongs for nearly what you can sell a hammer for right no one wants to buy tongs no one does and so it's just i love making them for myself and making them for like the skill test i, I really like that they're they're kind of like a horseshoe like they're so hard to make just right because horseshoeing tongs too is like a lot of the ones that we use are flat what we call flat bit tongs and so you're holding they'll be sized of like generally we'll have a pair of quarter inch tongs pair of five sixteenths tongs three eighths seven sixteenths half inch and sometimes five eighths tongs and so they have to fit really well because you're hitting like when you're over the horn hitting something if the tongs don't hold well it is just it coming flies right out. back to you right yeah it's gonna boomerang right around that thing and we use we use the boss a lot like, so we're forging up against the boss of the tongs a ton. Huh. Where that doesn't, that doesn't get, that doesn't happen in a lot of other tongs. I, I understand only because the way I was teaching my friction folder class, the way you hold it, when you make your ledge down for the actual folding end, you yep. have it, you have it underneath, under the boss, it hooks on the boss. So when you're forging down the blade, it doesn't rip out of your tongs yeah it doesn't just keep rotating on you yeah it doesn't keep like swing yeah it, it keeps it it keeps you allows you to have it in the tongs and it holds it tight so it's like you always need three points of contact you got three points of contact that's right yep. that's right and so that's like it's i i really like making and it was one of the first things i saw made that was just i watched shane carter make tongs and he's probably one of the best tong makers there is and it just blew my mind that this guy could take these two chunks of brown stock and have something that he could hold anything with. Like, it was just impressive. They don't look That's... anything like what they begin with. 
that's the thing with some of these internet blacksmiths and they write to me all the time and they say my tongs aren't fitting right what kind of tongs should i have and a part of me is just like go watch these farriers you think they're complaining about the tongs they can they hold are. The they are? Oh my gosh, they are, dude. Horseshoes <laughs> are so stupid. <laughs> it's so worse. I thought you guys need one pair of tongs you can hold that piece of three-eighths by one any to any which way. No, man. These guys are like, they'll get a pair of tongs, they're like, they'll, and they squeeze the crap out of them. They're like, my tongs don't fit good anymore. It's like, yeah, man, you popped them open. Like, you can't, you can't keep squeezing them that hard. Like, you just got to refit them. Like, well, how do you do that? It's like, yeah. oh, holy... Because there is no basics of education in, in horseshoeing. So it's just like so many people just don't know anything. That's all this blacksmithing and bladesmithing stuff. That there's no recreational teaching mm -mm. of the forging. There's no, It's all brand new. Last question, and I'm stealing it from the Forging Brains podcast. I need You do this thing on every episode, and I think it's great. I need your Mount Rushmore of four people who influenced you in your life. One of the great questions, and one of the reasons why is because it's not just for forging. You you say in your life. Yeah. Give me your give me your Mount Rushmore. Your four people that have influenced you in your life. So like my first one, probably like most of us guys should be is is my wife. My wife is a huge inspirational person. She's very organized. She's very goal driven, and she she'll break goals down very easy where they all seem attainable. And she'll she's very real with me. My, she's not afraid to just look at me and be like, you're doing this and this, and you say you want to do these other things. Well, you could make that happen if you just made these sacrifices. And so that is, she is the reason I am anywhere. I would I would probably be in a cabin being a mountain man completely if it wasn't for her. Wow. So she she is definitely my, my inspiration to, and my, my why to do a lot of things. Uh, like... You can yeah you you can ask questions about that. If you want. No, let me have I'm one number two. All right, number two. That was a good number one, by the way. All right. And your All other right. guests don't do their wives, so I'm just giving you a lot of not head, very lot many of, of them. Yeah. You're the man. You're the man. Go ahead. Uh, What's number the two? Next one, uh, number two is going to be uh, a group, not a group, but two people. My grandpa and grandma on my mom's side. My grandpa was a very he came over on he was a very old guy. He died when I was. 14 and he was 97 years old wow and he came over on the oregon trail in a wagon they lived on a beach in panning for gold and he watched the whole entire west coast go you know logging be what it is today and he went all the way from that no nothing anything to owning a mill one day and being wow. pretty pretty okay for himself by the end uh so my, my grandpa and grandma are huge inspiration for me they were just they took care of themselves very well and they went through a really bad time in our world through the depression and everything and yeah. it, it was never an excuse for them they just Damn. chugged right along with life strong number two what's number three number three would be jim poor there you go jim poor is uh been my school mentor my business mentor through a lot of this. i don't know what i ever did to have him help me but i'm so glad that he decided to because he's he all the mistakes that we aren't in a huge industry and there's even less of us that have been tool makers and stuff in this barrier world and he just like lined me out of the mistakes that he made and uh, so i wouldn't remake them and i i pretty strongly believe like you don't have to reinvent the wheel you just have to 
keep that path clear that everyone's already done for you. Like, it's cool to be innovative and stuff, but it's like, just take care of the basics first and try not to screw up and listen to your elders. They're just trying to save you. Like, they're not trying to just make you screw up or make you not do better. They want you to just do good. And Jim has been that. I can I can listen to his advice and take it without fully thinking about it a lot. Because I know he has my best interest in and he's seeing it from a good view. And rounding it up with number four. It would be Shane Carter. Shane, oh, Shane showed me showed me that you could own your trade that you could you could make your hands do anything you want them to do like he 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 just really drove me down this path wow that's a great that's a great mount rushmore great mount rushmore riley kirkpatrick ladies and gentlemen kirkpatrick forge you know all about it you gotta go listen trust me Go listen to the Forging Brains podcast. You follow him. Everybody follow him. You ain't listen to this. You're following Riley. Riley's doing the great stuff. He is a very important face to the world, to civilians, to non-metalworking people, that the people are still doing amazing stuff. And he's elevating the concept of forging. He's elevating the concept of blacksmithing. He's elevating the concept of being a farrier. He's a very important guy, and I'm very appreciative to you and everything that you're doing. Riley Kirkpatrick, you are the man. Thank you a bunch, Jeff. I appreciate you keeping us all company in our shops, man. All right, guys. Listen, um, you can't get much better than that. Riley Kirkpatrick's the man. We're going to have some fun next week. I ain't telling you who's coming on, but Riley, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm going to get you. You're coming back, and I got a feeling you're coming back with Ben. Ben and I have been talking. Yeah, I think we're going to do a we're going to do a three fur. It's going to be you, me, and Ben, and we're going to have a fool around. You're always welcome. Doors are always open. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. All right, guys. We will see you next week. This show is brought to you by the Makery, the podcast network for makers. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.